So we're starting a new series today that we are calling A Place to Call Home. Now, you may remember that last week at the end of the Easter story, that the messenger, the angel that greeted the women at the tomb and explained to them what had happened, told them to go back and to to tell the rest of the disciples and then everybody go to Galilee because there you will meet the risen Christ. Now, Galilee, you may remember, was the place that they all began together, the place where they lived and they worked. Galilee was home. And so the scriptures that speak about what happened after the Easter story, they speak time and time again about, about the family of God, of, of loving one another as brothers and sisters, as kindred, about what it means to be a part of the family of God. Several times the word abide is spoken to dwell in the presence of the risen one. And so for the next several weeks, we are going to explore what it means to have a place to call home. And in particular, uh, a place to call home in our spiritual lives. Now, the text that we're going to be looking at today is from Psalm 133. Uh, The Psalms, as you may remember, is a collection of poems and prayers and, and hymns. And there are different types for different purposes. This particular psalm, Psalm 133, is labeled as a song of ascent. It's one of 15 songs of ascent in the collection. A song of ascent is essentially just what it sounds like, a song for going up to a high place. For Jews at that time, that high place was the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is at the top of the hill. And so one literally goes up to go to Jerusalem. And so this was a song that the pilgrims would sing as they made their way to Jerusalem, to the temple, where they would go to worship God. They would sing it to express their joy in coming together for worship, where God promised to meet them there. The psalm imparts blessing and and life to God's people. And it proclaims a, a oneness in faith. And you will hear in this psalm, themes of abundance, of goodness, of pleasantness, of kindred spirits living together in unity. So I invite you now to listen to Psalm 133. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 133. Here begins the reading. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. Here ends the reading. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I have heard from many, many people in the last couple of weeks, now that we are doing in-person worship services, about how emotional they were to be back in the sanctuary. And that emotion, for many of them, sort of surprised them. They weren't prepared. And I have to tell you that I experienced the exact same thing. 
when I first stood up on Palm Sunday to give the welcome and the introductions at the early service, I was moved to tears to be back together in this place with these people. It had been a long time. It was a long year. 54 Sundays to be exact, but who's counting? Some, some aren't ready to come back yet. Some can't, and, and we understand that, we respect that, and that is why we are continuing and will continue to provide these digital services for you, because it's an important f- way for us to continue to be able to come together, even if we can't be together. And it feels, doesn't it, sort of like, like we finally reached the point in this pandemic when we can start to think about some of the silver linings in all of this, about what we've learned in the last year, about how we've changed, about how we'll move forward in hope. The most obvious, I think, at least for me, at least for me, is that it has really reinforced for me the need for community, about how important it is for us to share life together. For the last year, in some ways, we've been forced to deal with each other from a distance And in that process, we have come to see, to be reminded of just how much we need each other up close. We've been reminded of the power of simply being present with other people. I've always said faith is a team sport. Uh, Nadia Boltz-Weber was the first person to say that. Faith is a team sport, not an individual competition, she says. And I think that's true. We, We hold the faith of each other. When there are moments when my faith is struggling, when I can't seem to believe, other people believe for me. And sometimes we are the ones that are being lowered through the roof in order to be healed by Jesus. And sometimes we are the ones manning the ropes and lowering others down. And ultimately, that's what it means to be church. In the last year, we have been reminded We've been reminded, haven't we, that that community is where so much of spiritual formation happens. Anne Lamott wrote a great piece several years ago when her son was a teenager about why she makes her son go to church even when he doesn't want to. And in that piece, she says this, these are bewildering, drastic times that we live in. And a little spiritual guidance never killed anyone. And I think there are worse things for kids that that have to spend time with people who love God. And teenagers who do not go to church, they're also adored by God, but they don't get to meet some of the people who love God back. And learning to love back is the hardest part of being alive. I think that's true not just for teenagers, but for all agers. And I have this sense, I have this sense that, that one of the shifts that we will discover, that we will get away from on the other side of this pandemic, at least this is my hope, is, is what my friend refers to as the gas station mentality, where people just simply come to church to get their weekly fill up. They just sort of check off that box and then go back to the real life. You see, I always wonder about those original disciples, about what their emotional, what their spiritual state was in the days after that first Easter. 
the Gospels give us some insight. They talk about, about them being afraid, about being gripped by terror, one Gospel says. And John's Gospel says that they are all gathered together in a house, hiding behind locked doors, afraid. Disciples hiding in fear behind locked doors. Now, we don't know exactly what they are afraid of. It just says, for fear of the Jews, which is somewhat curious to me because they were Jews. Maybe the Jews that they were afraid of were their friends and their relatives who were now mocking them because, because their Messiah had died in such a humiliating way. I always wonder, and maybe this is my presumption, maybe I'm just sort of projecting my own thoughts on them, but I wonder if they're full of fear because, because of what Mary said to them, that the announcement that she made and what that means that Jesus had been raised that maybe they're afraid of what ultimately that means for them. But regardless of the reasons, the disciples of Jesus, they react to the crucifixion, to the announcement of the fact that he's been risen with, with fear, cowering behind locked doors. It reminds me of a story that I heard years ago about two young brothers they shared a bedroom together, and the, the younger brother was afraid, not necessarily of the dark, but he was afraid of open doors. His brother, who was growing impatient, as older brothers sometimes do, who was growing impatient and trying to break him of this bad habit, said to him one time in a bit of anger and frustration, someday, brother, I'm going to lock you up in a room full of open doors. I'm going to lock you up in a room full of open doors. You know what I hear of? You know what I hear of and think about when I hear that phrase? I hear the church. I picture the church, not this church specifically, but, but the church universal, the big C church. Even when we yearn for community, we have to admit that sometimes it can be difficult. And all the folks come from different ways, believing different things. And sometimes, maybe even especially, the church reacts to that in fear and starts to lock the doors to keep some folks out. Fred Craddock once said something about the meaning, the, the message of Easter is that Jesus, in the name of the unending grace of God, comes to church and throws open the doors, throws wide the doors, but all too often, as soon as that happens, Craddock says, the leadership council meets, votes to put a screen door on the doors of the church so that they can just check to see who's coming first. Several years ago, William Barclay told the story about a group of soldiers at the end of World War II. They have a friend that they lost in combat. He was killed and wanting to, to care for him, to, to make sure that he got a proper burial. They found a church there in the French countryside. And they went, and at that church, there was a cemetery just behind the back of the church, and there was a, a picket fence all the way around the cemetery. They went and knocked on the door of the church, and the priest came out, and they explained what had happened and asked if they could bury their friend in the cemetery. And the priest simply asked, is he Catholic? They explained that he wasn't. And the priest then said, well, I'm sorry, this cemetery is reserved for people that are members of the Holy Church. 
But I tell you what I can do, he said. If you want to bury your friend just outside of the fence, I will see to it that the grave is cared for. And that's what happened. They buried their friend. They went back to war. Several months, maybe even years later, when the war had finally ended, before they were being shipped home, they decided to go back one more time to pay their respects to their fallen friend. They found the church. They found the cemetery. And they walked all the way around looking for the grave. Not being able to find it, they went and once again knocked on the door of the church and the priest came out. And he explained to them, it didn't seem right. It didn't seem right that your friend was buried outside of the boundaries of the cemetery. And so his friend said, so you moved the grave? And the priest says, no, I moved the fence. I moved the fence. If the message of Easter means anything, it means this, that the, that the old boundaries, the old barriers are gone and a new way of life has been proclaimed. That when the stone was rolled away, that the former walls of our lives were made obsolete. But yet, by and large, all too often, we remain just like the disciples, locked in a room with doors that, that have been opened with the rolling away of the stone. So let me ask you, are you ever afraid that you don't belong? That you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not thin enough, you're not rich enough, you're just not enough. What if you knew? What if you knew that you are valuable, that you are worthy of love, that you are already part of what God is doing in this world? Maybe those words feel like home to you, comfortable, familiar. But what if you can't accept those words? What, what if you wonder if those could ever be true for someone like you? And maybe you think you've used up your value years ago, that you were left with a little bit of, of merely a memory of who you once were. Or maybe unacceptable is the only label that you've ever worn. And you feel outside of God's love on the other side of the fence. Well, here's what I want to tell you today. Here's what I want you to hear in the very depths of your soul and in your being, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, that you are enough. You are valuable. You are worthy of God's love. You see, in this place, in this place, all are welcome. There is no screen door. There are no boundaries or barriers. In this place, no one is better than anyone else. None are excluded from the presence and the love of the risen Christ. Not sure if you're welcome? Friends, hear this good news today. That in this place, in the kingdom of God, all are welcome. Amen.